You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Claire's upcoming season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everyone? Welcome to podcast number 205. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Good show for you this week, a different show for you this week, because it's not very Bachelor-related at all, or Bachelorette-related at all. We are bringing back a friend of mine. You heard him about six months ago, F.P. Santangelo, former Major League Baseball player, current analyst for the Washington Nationals on the Masson Network. We're going to talk baseball in this podcast and a little bit of Bachelorette. So in case you missed it, Last night on my Instagram Live with Ashley Spivey, we covered a lot of things. A lot of things. I know you have a lot of questions. I would suggest going to my Instagram Live. If you miss Instagram Live, I say it a lot, but I still get people saying, hey, I missed your Instagram Live. Where can I watch it? You go to my Instagram page, you click on that little TV icon, and it has every single Instagram Live that Ashley and I have ever done since we started this back in... God, March, April, whenever we started it, they're all there, every single one of them. So you can miss it live. You don't have to watch it live. They're all archived. So go there, go to my Instagram account, click on that TV icon, and you'll see all the lives still there. But we talked about the Ashley and JP stuff. We talked about Easy. Uh, We talked about um, Garrett's unfortunate interaction with a, a Garrett... I keep forgetting his last name. Not Garrett, Becca's ex-fiance, Garrett, who was on Hannah Brown's season. His unfortunate comments that he made to a someone who posted on his picture. Um, we talked about the double standard on the dodgeball date. We talked about prom gate that broke. And then you saw Ashley and I both posted prom pictures uh, on Twitter and Instagram last night. Check that out. That was interesting. Uh, we talked about Claire not getting uh, giving getting attention from the guys and what she did. We talked about the whole Brandon incident. A lot of good stuff. And really kind of went off on a, a couple times on just Bachelor Nation. And look, I know that there are a lot of fans out there that don't comment on anything and just listen to podcasts and watch the show and talk about it with their friends. You guys are great. It's the imbeciles that have to comment every five seconds about anything. And their comments are always either negative or based in misinformation. You know, look, I just, I don't get it. And I guess I never will, but I know it's also part of the franchise now, but I would just suggest to people, if you're, if you're really thinking about commenting on something that you saw on a television show, before you send out that tweet, before you send out that Facebook post, Before you hit send, read back what you wrote and then determine, does this really need to be said? Just do that for me, please, because some of the stuff that we're seeing on the Internet now is just ridiculous. And I just I don't really get it, but whatever you do, you, I guess. And and look, and I said it on the live and I'll say it again. Look, I know your response to that is going to be, Steve, it's a free country. I can say whatever I want. What, we're not allowed to have an opinions? No, you are allowed to have opinions. What I'm saying is maybe you should hold back your opinions that are 
crucifying other people or shitting on somebody else. That's all I'm saying. Maybe just hold those back. Because that's, those are the ones I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you saying, hey, wasn't a huge fan of this dodgeball date, but it was entertaining. You know, something like that that's just basic and similar or and, and, and basic and simple. I just I don't get the unbelievable amount of hatred. Claire's been on two episodes, and it's just like she she's like the worst human being ever compared to you guys compared to some people and i just I don't understand it for the life of me, so that's all I ask just before you send out that tweet, just think twice and be like, does this really need to be said do i real am I really this bothered by this? That's all. Anyway, we're talking baseball. And FP, if you heard him back in February, he was on with Jacqueline Trumbull because they're friends. And I found out they were friends when Jacqueline took a picture with him one night. And I'm like, hey, you know FP? And uh, there's a whole backstory between how I messaged FP. Uh, I slid into uh, FP's DMs one day a couple years ago just to tell him I thought he was a great analyst. Uh, and as a baseball fan, I really appreciate that. He is excellent once again. If you're a baseball fan, God, even if you're just an average fan, you don't have to be a diehard just listen to him talk about the sport and break it down the way he does. He's he's awesome. I love talking baseball with FP, and I hope you enjoy this too. So get ready. FP Santangelo, podcast number 205. Okay, let's bring him in. Um, he is the color analyst for the Washington Nationals on Masson. He just completed his 10th season with the team. It's FP Santangelo. FP, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on again. It's been a while, but I uh, hope you're doing well. Hope you're hanging in there. And uh, like always, it's great to catch up with you. Yeah, it's. Um, we had you on around February. I think it was like literally the day or two before you left for spring training uh, when, when we had you on with Jacqueline Trumbull, who's a, a friend of mine and a guest and, and a friend of yours as well. And uh, obviously, God, so much stuff has happened since then. I mean, it was it was so funny because I remember talking to you back in February, you're like, yeah, I'm about to, about to head out to spring training. And then who knew that all this would come down in the last, you know, crazy seven or eight months. We were actually the last game on air on March 12th and about the fifth inning during the broadcast, they canceled the season. So it was just such an odd scenario. There was a full house in West Palm beach, um, at the ballpark. They were playing the Yankees um, and in the fifth inning, we got word that the season had been postponed. So we just kept on going on with the broadcast. We made the announcement. Um, and I was kind of leery of going down there for that last broadcast because things were starting to get a, a little gnarly. Um, and then we, we actually came home after that. And that's the last time until last week that I've traveled. We did all the games at home this year. And um, I went to see my daughter who moved to Denver last week. And, and here we are uh, with a World Series that I thought would never happen. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. There's so much baseball stuff to talk about, and I'm trying to think of where I want to even begin, but um, let's begin with you as a broadcaster doing this season. We know it. everything went down, and like you said, in February, you were the last game to broadcast. It got postponed. At the time it was postponed, did you ever think that there was going to be a season? I, at the time it was postponed, Steve, I thought it was good. I thought it was going to be like a month's delay. Oh, I didn't know oh. what was going on, and yeah. then all of a sudden it was like, you know, once things got really super um, concerning across the world, across the country, I was like, there's not going to be a season this year. And and my initial response was, you know, that's fine. There's more important things in life than sports and baseball. Let's 
let's get it together as a country. Let's get it together as a, as a, as a, a world and figure this thing out. So I wasn't really overly concerned whether there was going to be baseball or not initially. Um, I, I was of, of the, the thinking that be careful tinkering with the game and, and making all these new rules and shortening the season. But, um, it was nice to get back to work. They pulled it off. I didn't think we'd get to this point uh, once the Marlins had their breakout and the Cardinals had their breakout. Um, but it was all strange for everybody. Like I said, sports is whatever. I mean, this is the, there's far more important things going on in the world than sports right now. And, and um, I'm glad we get to watch the World Series. Everything's been a little bit different, but here we are. You know what the crazy thing about about all that was when you talk about the Marlins breakout and the Cardinals breakout is, and I didn't even realize this until the season ended, and for those that don't know, Marlins had a breakout on their team. They had to postpone a lot of games and make up a lot of games with doubleheaders and same with the Cardinals. And I remember it was about 22 to 24 games into the season for most teams. And the Marlins had played, I think, three and the Cardinals had played five. And I'm like, there is they're going to end up with maybe 48, 50. There could be 10 games left. How are they going to do this? But not only did they end up finishing with, I think everyone got 60 games, and maybe there were some teams that got 58 or 59, but it wasn't like someone was down to 45 or 50 games. The other crazy thing was, and I don't, maybe you don't even know this, was the record in those double headers for the Cardinals and the Marlins, they actually played better. I, I, I believe the Marlins were 10-4 and four in double headers and under 500 in all the rest of their games. And Cardinals, same thing, over 500 in doubleheaders, but basically a 500 team without it. Uh, both teams um, ended up making the playoffs. I, it, it just, it really kind of worked out for them in a weird kind of way. It did, and, and the season is what it is. It's hard for me to really wrap my arms around it when the Nats were 19-31 and 31 last year. They battled all season, and it, it came back and made it to the wild card game and won the World Series through an incredible playoff run. And for a guy that's been in baseball his whole life, you know, there's the grind of 162 games, which exposes the depth of your franchise with injuries and how you overcome adversity. And in a 60-game sprint, it is what it is. I think Major League Baseball did a great job pulling it off. Um, it's just strange for me to sit here and think about 60 games as a season. But we'll take what we can get. We're at the World Series. You know, Hats off to all the guys for quarantining, spending time away from their families, which they're not used to. Um, being in the bubble right now in Major League Baseball for making the adjustments after the Marlins uh, and the Cardinals had their deal. Yeah, I mean, 60 games, when I first heard of it, I mean, when the talks were going on in May and June about, well, let's start right after the All-Star break, we'll have a 90 to 100 game season. I was like, okay, I mean, it's that seems suitable. Obviously, it, the, the, the numbers are going to be adjusted. Baseball is such a statistic sport that you're just not going to have the numbers that you would in a regular season. And then it came out like, oh, we're just going to have a 60-game season and, you know, uh, 16 teams are going to make the playoffs. And I'm like, okay, I, I get that you want to have something. I'm glad that they're doing something to bring some normalcy back and we can have our sports back. But surely there's going to be a giant asterisk at the end of the season of who wins this thing. And But then... I, I, I'll admit, I didn't watch too much regular season baseball. I just couldn't get into it. I watched the first couple weeks, and I'm like, God, it's just so bizarre without any fans there. And it really goes to show how much fans play a role in sports. But when I started watching the playoffs, and I've watched pretty much all the playoff games, you realize that it's not like these guys are going through the motions and are like, yeah, big deal, we're going to win a 60-game season world championship. Like, 
it's legit. Like they, this is no different than any other season, other than minus a hundred games of a regular season. Well, they sacrificed a lot to get there. Um, like I said, they, a lot of protocol, um, a lot of things that take you away from your routine. Baseball players are about their routine, and there was nothing routine about this year. So having to get to the ballpark in staggered groups, having six buses to the field, um, taking tests every day, the anxiety of waking up in the morning, am I positive, am I negative, am I going to play today? Yeah. You know, it's hard enough. Baseball's the hardest sport in the world, in my opinion, when everything's going well um, off the field. Your family life's great. Uh, you're healthy. And it's still a hard game. But but I think, you know, every team had to go through this and they all had to make sacrifices. But I think it affected the Nats more than any other team in the sense that they they went to the top of the baseball mountain last year. They played the most intense games of their career, of their lives as baseball players. They, they won it all uh, in front of a, a national audience, a worldwide audience. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have the parade and, um, you know, management comes back and signs back almost everybody. And then you have no victory lap. There's no, you come out to first baseline and get your rings on opening day. You raise the banner in front of 40,000 screaming fans at Nats Park. Everywhere you go in DC, you're a rock star with your ring on. You don't pay for dinners. You don't pay for drinks. Um, and, and all the great things that come with winning a world championship. It's the toughest ticket in town. Nobody can go to a Nats game this year because, you know, they're defending champs and everybody wants to see them play. So in that regard, as a team and, as, and, and the guys that were there last year, the veteran players, imagine experiencing the greatest thing you ever have as a baseball player and then coming out in front of no fans at all. Nobody. There's nobody in the stands. You're just you're trying to get up for a game. You just played um, game seven of the World Series, and now you're playing game one of a 60-game season in front of no one. Yeah. So you could see, and I heard through the grapevine that it was affecting the guys that were here last year, how do I ramp up for this? The fans are my adrenaline. And you could see the level of play, I thought, throughout Major League Baseball initially, um, that the concentration level um, and the extra layer of accountability, which is 40,000 people being there on a nightly basis, just wasn't there. So you're seeing bad base running. You're seeing errors because of concentration or lack thereof. Uh, and the, the brand of the game uh, eventually ramped up to where it is now. But um, getting back to my point, I don't think it affected any other team more than it affected the Washington Nationals coming off a World Series championship. Yeah, and can totally see that based on everything you just laid out for us. It's, yeah, it's got to be tough. And in the beginning, as a as a fan and as a viewer of baseball, I probably felt the same way the players did on the field. Like it's just, it's just this is not what we're used to. And I know that it's because of COVID, and we're everything's been thrown out of whack in our lives, not just sports. But yeah, I mean, sports are a, a way to you know kind of get with and ingratiate ourselves into something like fantasy world because we aren't good enough to do what those guys do. And you want to live and die by what your team does and to see them play in front of a, an empty stadium. And it just, you know, I, I it's, it was tough. And I, I, as a broadcaster for you, like you said, every time the Nats played at home, you obviously broadcast from home, but you didn't travel with the team. You had to broadcast the games on TV when they were on the road from the stadium. You'd still go to the stadium and broadcast it, but you had to watch, on a monitor how i mean how was it difficult for you or after a while did you get used to it or is just you were just like god i'm I'm, now that the season's over like i'm i really hope we don't have to do that again let me preface it with i have the greatest job in the world i get to talk about something that i love every day for a living i mean you can relate um and 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 i get to go to a major league ballpark every day and talk about baseball for four hours and teach fans the intricacies of the game 
and hopefully be funny once in a while and just have a great time doing it. But to your question, it absolutely sucked this year because, because of all my years of training, Steve, I look out there and I, I feel like I see things that, that, um, you know, a lot of people don't in the game and I'll ask my producer for something. I'll say, Hey, these guys are talking over here. That has to do with like the last time we played, blah, blah, blah. So when you're not there, you're not the ballpark. Um, when they're on the road, we're at Nats park, say they're in city field. Um, you can't see those things. So I'm limited to what is on the screen. And, um, and a lot of my analysis during a season is my relationships with players that I've built over the last 10 years. I feel like they know I'm not going to crush them unless there's no other way to do it. I, I, I realize how hard it was to play a game for play the game for a living. Um, I talk to them every day. Some things I use on TV, some things I don't use on TV, but there's relationships there with players and coaches and staff that I've developed over 10 years that we weren't allowed to be around the players at all this year. It was from my car to the booth, back to my car. And they had like a route that we went through the ballpark where we were not anywhere near the players. So there was no conversations. There was Zoom calls every day, but a Zoom call and grabbing Ryan Zimmerman or Anthony Rendon around the cage and saying, dude, what happened last night? What was that What was that pitcher's problem with you? You know, and you get the inside scoop, and, and then you decide whether you want to relay that to the fans. Um, and I think the players know that, that I have their back for the most part, and I think the relationships that I built, I miss those, dude. I miss those more than anything this year. I miss being around the guys. Um, I miss being around the coaching staff. I miss being around all those – you know that's baseball it's my life it's the only thing i know a tiny little bit about so to a long answer to your question is it sucked i mean yeah. it wasn't the same this year but it was baseball and i got to do it with my partner bob carpenter and, and we had a good time and we made it really conversational up there kind of like almost a podcast with the game going on in the background because you know what am i really going to analyze if i haven't done the prep work that i'm used to doing i you know i'll, I'll break down a play for you but I'm getting my information off Twitter. And, and so I might as well have been just, you know, another fan up there this year. So we tried to make it fun for, for the viewers and we understood what it was. Um, and, and I, and I, I'm a lift the curtain back kind of guy. I wanted to make it perfectly known to the fans that this was hard for Bob to call the play by play. And it was difficult for me to analyze a game without talking to players and seeing the things that I can see with my own eyes and not just in a little, you know, box that I'm looking at there on the desk in front of me. Let's take a break here real quick. Talk to you about Magic Spoon. Growing up, cereal, one of the best parts of being a kid. I ate it every night before bed. But I had to give it up because I realized it was full of sugar and uh, junk you really shouldn't eat. And now that I'm trying to watch my weight a little bit more, I'm trying to cut down on carbs and sugar and unhealthy foods, I realized basically I can't eat everything all the time, especially at 45 years old. But with Magic Spoon, we're talking about a cereal that has zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only 3 net grams of carb in each serving. Four flavors of cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. It tastes amazing. Honestly, it's too good to be true. It's also keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And I'm telling you, you, you don't think it can taste like those sugary cereals, but it does without the sugar in it. Like I said, zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, 3 net grams of carbs. Go to magicspoon.com Steve to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code Steve at checkout for free shipping. Magic Spoon so confident in their product, it's backed with 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for whatever reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash Steve, and use the code Steve for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. Now let's get back to FP Santangelo. I don't know if you have any extra insight into this, what you're hearing rumblings-wise, but 
I mean, I, I guess we don't know answers because we don't know anything about uh, a vaccine yet, if and when we're getting one. But don't know anything, dude. I, yeah. it, it changes daily too. And if I did know anything, it wouldn't matter because yeah. you know things are changing so rapidly with this virus and the pandemic and and everything. So um, I would say a lot depends on November third, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it does make that makes a lot of sense because. I mean, look, I mean, because the good thing with baseball as of right now is, you know, their next season, you know, wouldn't start, you know, if spring training in February or spring training, you report mid-February, all of March is exhibition and then season starts end of March, beginning of April, you know, sports like basketball and NHL, they got to figure out what they're going to do because, I mean, normally their seasons would be starting uh, October, November. And we've already know that with, because they push their seasons back, they're not going to be starting till at least earliest January 1st, but probably a little bit later. Baseball has a little more time. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I can't imagine it's going to be any sort of bubble thing. Um, I, I, maybe they, you know, what they're doing in Texas here, I guess, you know, obviously it's a state by state thing. The world series is, you know, anybody that watched, by the way, we're recording this on Wednesday. So game one of the World Series has happened last night. We're not going to have any insight into game two of what happened. But, you know, Texas is allowing 10,500 fans and then another 950, I believe, in suites. So they're they're doing 25% capacity and, you know, seems to add. I, it sounds a lot louder than I thought 10,500 would would sound like. What's it sounded like to you on TV? It's good. I like eight. When you're playing in front of no fans and, and can noise, I bet you it sounds like 100,000 to these guys. And you could see the adrenaline and how they're playing. You know what we need to do? Uh, you and I need to, to call ABC. <laughs> and, you know, I, I watch The Bachelor all the time. I can't watch The Bachelorette because usually it's during the summer and I've never gotten into it. I know what's going on right now. Yeah. But we, we should do a broadcast and, and you should be the play-by-play guy and I should analyze it while, while the fans have it on the background. So we're breaking things down, and I'm analyzing what's really going on. Because when I watch this on t- Twitter, I'm totally into it on Twitter, watching everybody's comments, laughing at everybody. But is there a way that we can – we can you and I, you could do the play-by-play. <laughs> I will analyze, and we could do The Bachelor next year together yeah. on ABC. Just – I got an alternate channel, like channel like 1246 on DirecTV or something. Well, kind of like they do with the National Championship game where they have the coach cast or whatever. They have a separate yeah. channel you can go to where you get just uh, – we we'll get Jackie. Jackie can come on with us. We'll <laughs> yeah. be a three-man broadcast crew, um, uh, a three-person broadcast crew, I should say. <laughs> you can edit that out. I'll get yeah. in trouble. A three-person broadcast crew, and we'll just sit there and we'll break it down for the for the fans at home. Nobody knows more about it than you two, and then I could just be the dumb jock that comes in and, and gives the real-life aspect yeah, of it. Exactly. No, it's something to, something to look forward to, uh, possibly, because assuming that um, – there isn't an outbreak and they don't have a pause in production. You know, the bachelor production, uh, they are filming right now, uh, and they are about three episodes in. So assuming there's no pause, we're going to get our, we're going to be back on our regularly scheduled bachelor programming where Matt James's season of the bachelor will begin the first Monday in January. So you'll be able to see. So they're, they're in a pod, they're getting tested. Yeah. And so they're worried about, they're finally worried about a disease on the bachelor. I should say that's too soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, soon. They, they are doing, um, they're basically doing a bubble. They're doing it in one location and nobody is going in or out of that location outside of hotel, uh, uh, staff and groundskeepers and so, not groundskeepers. That's baseball. But, um, 
you know, well, I guess you could have groundskeeping staff. Yeah, I'm town, sure right? there's, I'm sure there's groundskeepers, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Yes. So, um, <laughs> but those people aren't interacting with the cast. So yeah, they got to go and clean out the rooms and, you know, make everything sanitary. But uh, yeah, they're filming in uh, one location, just like they did uh, Claire season. The Bachelorette that's airing now was filmed at uh, La Quinta Resort in Palm Springs. And, wow. and they had the whole season filmed there and they got tested well, you, every two or three days. Well, you know, you rather talk about baseball. I rather talk about the bachelor. Cause that's, you know, I, 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 people say you watch the bachelor. I'm like, I love the bachelor. I watch it every year religiously, but I've never, um, and, and, and all my, my kids love the bachelorette. All my friends love the bachelorette, but because it's usually broadcast in the summer, I don't have time to, to watch it. Even if I do record it. So, yeah. um, I'm kind of behind on this whole thing. I need to catch up and I guess I have time now. I just haven't really gotten into it. Yeah. You would be. I mean, Bachelorette airs May through July, so you can't watch it. And even if you said, like you said, set your DVR, um, if you didn't watch it till after the season, you'd already know everything that happened if by just reading tweets and stuff like that. So it probably yeah. loses its effect. Um, so uh, in, in the 60-game season uh, of this, there were some rule changes that were made. And I want your opinion on what you liked, what you didn't like, what you think should come back, what you think – will come back versus I liked it, but I don't think it's coming back or I didn't like it, but it's here to stay. So first off, I want to start off with um, the universal DH. Is that staying? Did you like it? I hated it. I'm a National League guy. Yeah. I like Max Scherzer hitting. I like Steven Strasburg hitting a home run last year and dancing in the dugout. <laughs> was one of the highlights of our season as a broadcast, and I think Nats fans would tell you the same. Max Scherzer sprinting down first base the first baseline with you know his eyes wide open like a middle linebacker full speed and and, and how clutch he was with runners in scoring position his whole career um, I like the strategy of the National League game I like bunning guys over I like the double switch which dictates a manager's decision when he's going to take a guy out of the game so I'm a National League guy I played six of my seven years in the big leagues in the National League um, I, I love watching pitchers compete I love watching them work on their craft every day um, um, as far as offense goes and bunting guys over and how hard they work at it. Um, and, and I think the DH is boring. I think the games were much uh, longer this year. I thought it's it's nine guys hitting and, and there's no strategy involved. And I honestly thought a lot of the games this year lacked um, the excitement and the strategy that the National League, uh, National League game um, um, shows you every single night. So, I'm, I mean, I'm totally against the DH. I, I hope they go back to pitchers hitting. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but it's unfortunate because the, to me, the American league game is, is, is much more boring than the national league game. So you don't think you think the DH is going to be both leagues starting when we come back next year. Full I, season. I think so. Yeah. I think so. And, and that's fine. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll adapt to it, but you asked me my opinion. And my opinion is that yeah. I like national league baseball better. I'm not going to sit here and go, Oh, baseball sucks. I'm lucky to do what I'm doing. I love any form of baseball, but if I have my druthers, I I'm a national league guy. I was a bench guy. I went in on the double switches. I made a career of going in on double switches. So, I mean, it's near and dear to my heart because uh, when I played the year in Oakland um, at the end of my career, if you're not starting an American League game, there's little chance that you're getting into that game. Yeah. But as a National League bench player, you're managing along with the manager. Here comes the pitcher spot. He's at 100 pitches. He kind of gave up a few hard hit balls last inning. The bullpen's up. I've been getting loose since the fifth inning. Is he going to call me? Is he going to call my buddy? Is he going to call my other buddy down there to pinch hit? Is he going to pinch hit? So, you know, I think um, one of the reasons I feel like I know a tiny bit about baseball is because I had to manage along with my manager 
every single game as a bench player in the National League because you can't get ambushed. You can't be like sitting there, oh, you're hitting. So you're managing along. You're paying attention to the baseball game while you're sitting on the bench. In the American League, I was up in the clubhouse eating hot dogs. You know, I, I, it, it didn't matter because there's no spot in the order where you're thinking this might be my time. This might be my turn. You're just sitting there watching the game, chewing seeds. You know, so to me, obviously I'm biased in this, but as a baseball fan too, I, I really appreciate, um, you know, you know, the, the eighth place hitter drawing a walk with two outs to turn the lineup over. Something as simple as that to get the pitcher up with two outs so that you have your leadoff hitter hit the next inning. Little things like that don't happen when you have a DH. One thing that I absolutely hated when it was discussed and it was actually put into play this season uh, was if the game goes to extra innings, we're going to start with a runner on second base. And I was like, this is beer league softball. What what the hell is this? However, I understood why they did it. Um, and then when it started to play out, my thinking was when I heard this rule being put in place was, great, the first guy up is going to bump the guy over and they're going to play for a run. Then I read an article about a month into the season where they said, hey, you know what? None of these teams are playing the bunt game here. They're not playing to move a guy over and hopefully to get a base hit and to score one run in the top of the 10th and then try and prevent one in the bottom of the 10th. They're all playing for a big inning, which, uh, and the numbers bared it out or whatever, but you know why nobody can bunt anymore. Well, I watched true. it every night. <laughs> <laughs> they bunt too foul and strike out. <laughs> nobody knows how to bump the guy over. So that's why they weren't doing it. Um, but I mean that that rule is fine. But I mean it's fine for me getting to the bar to have my Tito's and soda a little bit sooner than maybe I normally would. So, yeah. so from that standpoint, in a, in a three and a half hour game instead of a four and a half hour game, uh, I like it. I, I like the fact that you don't have to worry about if you made plans after the game um, that you're not going to get to the plans that you made after the game. Uh, and you probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But uh, but 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 from a baseball purist standpoint, no. I, I starting with the runner on second is awful. I can't. It's it's hard to it's hard to wrap my head around. Um, is that is that a run scored for that guy? And what if you know, just you you're manufacturing. Say you scored ninety nine runs, but like, or you score a hundred runs as a, a Trey Turner. You score a hundred runs. It's a big, but but five of those were in extra innings with when you started at second that you didn't give on base for. Yeah. So now it's now you're messing with stats. So I I don't know about that one. I'm not as passionate about it as I am the DH and pitchers hitting. Um, but like I said, any any kind of baseball is fine. And and knowing that you might get out of there a little bit sooner than normal, I'm okay with too. Yeah, and I think I think I, I don't have this exact number on the top of my head, but I think there was only one game that ended up going to over 12 innings this year, maybe two. It wasn't. It yeah, wasn't. We, a we lot. did it. Okay. We did it. <laughs> it was the Nats. Yeah, and that's fine. You know, Steve, I, I, I've never been a, a guy that watches how long a game is. I'm there. There's no place I'd rather be. So I'm kind of like tongue-in-cheek talking about the Tito's and Soda after. But um, I understand a shortened season, you don't want to run through a staff. But I think I, don't, I think that one's going to go away for the time being. The DH, I think, might be here to stay, unfortunately. And finally, one other ad to go over today, Monk Pack. Healthy snacks have a bad reputation, let's be honest. Most don't taste very good. They don't fill you up, certainly don't satisfy your cravings. This episode is sponsored by Monk Pack, who truly make delicious, low-carb, low-sugar snacks. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars contain just one gram of sugar, two grams of net carbs, and only 140 calories. Great for anyone following a keto lifestyle and a perfect snack for anyone 
who wants to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. That's the big thing for me. You, you have these keto bars and you think they don't taste as good. These do. I'm telling you. I love the peanut butter ones. Love them. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have a soft and chewy texture and come in delicious flavors like coconut, cocoa chip, maple pecan, and peanut butter. I'm telling you, peanut butter is really good. They're perfect for a quick breakfast, snack in between Zoom calls, or even a late-night treat. In addition to being keto-friendly, the bars are also gluten-free, <laughs> grain-free, plant-based, and non-GMO, and with no soy, trans fat, sugar alcohols, or artificial colors. They taste incredible. You can't beat the nutrition or satisfaction they provide, I'm telling you. Try it yourself, and you'll see. We have a special deal for our listeners. 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code Steve at checkout. To get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com and select any product. Then enter the code Steve at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, good food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Now, let's get back to FP Santangelo uninterrupted for the remainder of the podcast. What about um, the three batter minimum? Did, without that was just barely noticeable. I, I don't know what you thought about it. I, I I had to remind myself every night. I'm like, oh, they got to get a lefty up to face Juan Soto. Then my partner would go, it's a three batter minimum. So it took me a while to like have that get to my brain. You know, I've been in yeah. baseball for 31 years. For 30 years of it, professional baseball, you know, you there's strategy involved. So I think that there's a different sort of strategy with that. That's fine. I think that's harmless. I didn't even notice it. I don't know about you. I didn't think it was that big a deal. Yeah, at times I did notice it, and then at times I was like, oh, wait, I completely forgot. Because then I forgot, okay, if you bring in a pitcher, he has to pitch to three guys, but if he ends the inning, he doesn't have to start the next inning. If he ends the inning pitching to one guy, he doesn't have to come out and start and pitch the next, the, the first two batters of the next inning. That's where I got confused. I was like, oh, wait a second, I thought he had to come out. And it's like, no, if you bring him in no. in the middle of an inning, he's got to face three or inning-ending first, whichever comes first. That's what I right. got confused on. Right. Um, and then the playoff format. Here's another one that I was really interested in because um, the normal playoff format pre-COVID season was all three division winners and then the two teams with the best record uh, have a one-game playoff. The winner of that, you know, and then you basically have four playoff teams in, in, each, in each league. This year, they doubled that and went top eight teams. Uh, first seed, one plays eight, two plays seven, three plays six, and four plays five. Again, I, I thought it was going to be something that I hated in the beginning, but as it played out, I'm like, I kind of like seeing the brackets when they put them out there, um, and I do think you should be rewarded for, um, you know, granted it was only a 60-game season, but I'm wondering if next season they do that, next season it's back to the old one, or I guess this season before COVID it was supposed to be seven teams each league, right? Wasn't that this projected what it was supposed to, we were all set for a seven teams in each league making the postseason? If I'm, if, uh, if I'm correct on you, that, you can't do seven cause it's an odd number. Wait, I guess no. unless one team has a buy. Yeah. yeah that, right. I thought um, were, maybe that's football. The, that the, the best record would have a buy. Well, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think you should be under 500 and make it to the postseason. I think it, I think it underscores the importance of regular season games. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be back to eight. As a matter of fact, I might've heard something that it's going to go back to eight. I don't know if it's, it's obviously not official, but, um, I think that one was just a kind of a COVID thing to okay. get more cities interested and, and, uh, maybe get the pot bigger for the playoffs. I think it'll go back to the traditional eight next year. Well, well, technically Total. 10, right? 
10, 10, yes. yeah, whatever, 10. That, whatever the traditional is. Yeah, the, the the division winners and then the two wild cards. And the two wild cards. I've I've yes. just always had an issue with a hundred and sixty two game season coming down to one a one game playoff. Would you mind making that one game a two a best two out of three? No, and, I think that I've I've been an advocate for that for a long time. Really. Um, yeah, I, I think two out of three should be the wild card every year because okay. oh, uh, I you there's no such th- thing as baseball in a microwave. It's all about attrition. It's all about the long season, and, and, and it's all about winning series. Yeah. So whether it's a five-game series, a seven-game series, a three-game series, or a four-game series during the regular season, you know, I've, there's always the odd two-game series, but whatever with that. So now you make it a best two out of three. So if you really had to fight to get into it and you can't use your best pitcher – you're not a disadvantage. Uh, I, I love it, the wild card being two out of three. I think they should go to that for sure. Yeah, no, that's something that I thought you were saying. You were an advocate for the one game playoff. I'm like, huh? No, no, that's <laughs> just too. That's too. I mean, there, the the year I was in Oakland, we were a hundred. I looked at this. We were 102 and 60 that year. Yeah, and 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 we we were the only wild card because that's all there was back then. And we played the Yankees in the first round. This next team was the Twins, and they were 500. So imagine being 102 and 60. And playing one game against a 500 team, the 500 team has a good day. We have a bad day, and the 500 team advances. And a team that's 42 games over 500 doesn't get into the playoffs. So that's my contention with just a one-game playoff. Even though the Nats won it last year, and it was a big reason why I have a ring upstairs right now, um, is because of that game. Um, I, I still think it's it's a more fair way to do it if you have two out of three in the wild card. Yeah, and you don't even have to do travel. Give it the team that of those yeah. in that wild card game, the team with the better record. Kind yep. of like, kind of like they did this year. It gets to host all three. You don't even have to, yep. you know, gets to host all three. If you can't win two on the road, then you don't deserve to advance. I mean, simple I agree. as that. Um, I agree. So let's talk a little World Series here because this has been, um, or even just the playoffs in general, because I do want to talk about the 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 the, um, the Dodgers Braves series. Being a National League guy, um, I grew up in Southern California. I'm a Dodger fan, so clearly I'm cheering for them, and I'm rooting for them to win it all this year. Um, does it suck if 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 they win it this year? Will I be a little bit disappointed that you know uh, nineteen eighty eight was the last year they won it? They've taken a lot of heat for not being you know eight straight division titles, can't win it all. And then if they do beat the Rays, it'll be <laughs> the one time they do win it is in a sixty game shortened season. But no, you know what? I'll take it. I'm not going to complain and 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 sit here. Um, nineteen eighty eight. I was a thirteen year old kid who was absolutely obsessed. With that 1988 team, I could reel off names and stats from that team, and I, my favorite baseball player of all time is Oral Hershiser, and I'll say that to, till the day I die. That team and that season uh, shaped me as a as a child. I used to record all of Oral starts um, on a VCR and watch them over and over again. Like I was a nerd when it came to that stuff back then, and I guess kind of still am when it comes when it comes to baseball stuff, but um, in terms of the Dodgers and Braves, uh, you know, the Dodgers have won eight straight division championships. They've had no world series to show for it. They lost back to back in 2017 and 18 to the Astros and, and Red Sox. Um, let's just say that they don't beat the Rays in this series. A lot of talk about Dave Roberts and whatnot, uh, do you move on from a guy like that? How do you move on from a, a manager well, who wins you a division every you. season? You're, t- you're talking nonsense. This is going to be a short series. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know why you're going there. I mean, you're, you're being negative. They just kicked their butts last night. Well, um, yeah. they're a bet. They're the better team. Uh, they play the game the right way. 
Chris Taylor's reading balls in the dirt so quick at first, they're getting stolen bases for it. Mookie Betts on the contact play at third yesterday had the tremendous lead yeah. in the jump. He realized that Glass now was a one-looker at second base, meaning he looks at the runner once. As soon as his head rolls toward home plate, he goes. Got a great jump. So they're not only a talented team with, I think, the best player in baseball at Mookie Betts, and I'll, I'll stick to that. I don't care. I know it probably ruffles some Mike Trout fans' feathers, but Mookie Betts is the best player in baseball, and I've been saying that all year. Um, because well, he can do curious. things Why that you- he can do things he can do things that Mike Trout can't. I mean, he he hits for power, he hits for average. He has better speed than Trout, and he's got a better arm, and he's a better defender than Trout. Hmm. He's the best defensive right fielder in baseball, and maybe the best outfielder period in baseball. So you and and he's got a World Series ring, and he plays in October every year. So I mean, I, not that I don't like Mike Trout, I think he's an unbelievable talent. He's got more talent on his pinky finger than I had on my whole body as a player. He's he's. Uh, a once in a generation player, but I'll take Mookie Betts. I think Mookie Betts is better. Hmm. It's interesting, and it, and it kind of brings me to Trout. Um, as great as he is, Mike Trout has played in the in Major League Baseball nine seasons now. He's been to one playoff series, and they got swept. And I think he had one hit in that series. And look, you can't, you know, baseball is a team sport, and we know this. And it's a it's way different than a basketball team where you can be carried by one or two players. You need 25 guys all pulling and all fighting for the same thing in in baseball. However, if you're Mike Trout and you know that, you know, guys don't talk about their legacy and what they want to be remembered for and stuff like that. But I, I think there's a part of him that if he's any sort of, of athlete, any sort of competitor, this guy wants to be in the playoffs and this guy wants to win a world championship. He doesn't want to go his whole career having a couple of playoff appearances, but being known as the best regular season baseball player out there and then just, you know, nothing successful. If you're Mike Trout and two or three more years go by with the Angels and you're seeing the same stuff, you're seeing, you know, uh, you know, 77 and 85 seasons and 81 and 81 seasons, what do you do if you're him? I mean, you sign the long deal there. You're, you're, you, you, you stick it out, and you hope that uh, your new GM and your owners uh, surround you with good players. That's all you can do. Do you think? Do you think he would force a trade at some point if he just doesn't see it? It'd be like, look, I, I don't, I don't think he would have signed that contract if he didn't see it. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think with Anthony Rendon there, they just need some pitching. That's a pretty good team. I mean, but but pitching wins. Period. Yeah. End of story. They got to get pitching, and they've had yeah, and they've had none of it for basically the whole time. Yeah, Trout has been there. Um, you know, I talk about the Dodgers and and, and the Braves series, and I thought it was a great series. Uh, the game seven ratings were were excellent. I think I read that uh, best ratings in in a major league game since twenty seventeen. Um, so that's good for the game of baseball. Um, you saw you've watched the Dodgers. Uh, obviously, you're a National League guy. You, you the Braves are uh, in your division, so you see them a lot. These are two teams that. I think along with the Nats, um, they're not going away anytime soon. Like these two teams not only are good now, but their core nucleus are all young guys. Uh, do you like one over the other going forward in terms of a, of a dominance over the national league? I don't think either one of them are going anywhere. If the Braves get some sort of um, stability in their starting rotation, which it looked like they did in October, and then they get Soroka back next year, yeah, um, they could very well be the best team in the National League. I, I think it was a coin toss between the two this year. Um, the Dodgers came out on top. I saw the Braves a lot this year. That That's one of the most formidable lineups I've ever seen with Acuna Jr. Um, and Duvall was amazing this year. Obviously, Freddie Freeman's going to be the National League MVP. 
Ozzy Albies is tremendous. Dansby Swanson's come to, into his own. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, you got pros like Nick Marcakis sprinkled around there. Um, um, uh, Travis Darno had an amazing season as an offensive threat as a catcher. Um, so, I mean, that's a, that's a really good team and they're going to be good for a while, but they need to, they need some starting pitching and they, they might get Bauer. Who knows? Um, that, that's a good team. And those are the top two teams now. And the Nats have a, a little bit of catching up to do after this year. Yeah, no, I mean, it looks like, I mean, you look at the Dodgers, you know, eight straight division titles. That's great. And, but outside of Justin Turner, Kershaw and, and Kenley, their core of Seager, Muncie, Betts, Bellinger, Will Smith, and then you guys, you know, you got your Dustin Mays, your Walker Buehlers, your Julio Urias is, I mean, they're not going anywhere, assuming health. I just don't think all those guys are all of a sudden just going to slide and, and have poor years all at the same time. I, I think the eight straight division titles for the Dodgers could end up being, you know, uh, 12 to 13. I mean, maybe the Padres slip in there one year and win one or two more games and the Dodgers get in as a wild card, but I just don't see a year the Dodgers don't make the playoffs anytime soon, and that's not being biased. That's just looking at that roster. I mean, they're they're loaded. They are. It's a good team. They got a good manager. Um, regardless of what Dodger fans think, he, he's a friend of mine, and he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and he's limited in what he can do. Um, as far as you know, the front office is very involved there, but Doc Doc gets it as well as anybody I've ever been around. He's a great people person. Bob Guerin, their bench coach, is one of my best friends in baseball. So. Um, I hope they win it this year. I, I grew up a Giants fan. I played in L.A. for a year. I mean, it wasn't a great experience for me uh, personally because I had a terrible year. But, um, you know, Tommy's a good friend of mine. I hope they win it for Tommy. Vin's a good friend of mine. I hope they win it for Vin. That's that. Those are the two main reasons. And my, my two friends that are coaches there, uh, I hope they win it for those guys, especially Tommy. I, I hope Tommy sees another World Series and Vin too um, because they're getting up there. I, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. I remember that year that you were in L.A., I, and, and I only remember it because T.J. Simers had such a hard-on for you and calling out your batting average all the time. And I was just like, good God, T.J. Uh, yeah, he took cheap shots at me all the time, but that's okay. We're, yeah. we're both where we deserve to be right now, I feel like. So <laughs> yeah. it all works out. No, for sure. Um, in terms of the World are Series. Yeah, I'm oh, here. Are you broke up. Yeah. You got me? Yeah. Okay. Um in terms of the World Series, um, you know, you you think the Dodgers are going to win because they play uh, the game the right way. You even tweeted it out last night, and you know, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. I, you know, I I think Tampa's a good team. I don't know if they're good enough to beat them four out of seven, but could they make it interesting? Make it a six or seven game series? I, I guess it's it's possible. A lot would be determined based on on how the, the Dodgers follow through and how their pitching comes through on these days like tonight, where. They're going to go with a you know a Gonsolin May Urias combination uh, that looks like Gonsolin's getting the start tonight and he wasn't great against the Braves but um, I, John Smoltz said something I think it was the broadcast last night or maybe it was on Sunday in Game Seven with the with the Braves he mentioned something about younger players not being overwhelmed in the moment because of the lack of crowd and in a normal Game Seven forty thousand screaming fans maybe a young guy would get overwhelmed in the moment. Agree or disagree with that? 100% agree. I mentioned it uh, on the air a number of times this year, and, and being as honest as I could with younger players that were performing well for the Nats, I said, hard to judge these guys until um, they do what they're doing right now in front of 40,000 people at City Field on the road. Um, there's, there's stage fright's a real thing. Guys get tight around big crowds. Other guys, 
flourish in front of big crowds and turn their game up. And some guys just stay the same, whether it's a big crowd or a small crowd. So I think especially with younger players with that don't have the, the experience of the third deck being full of fans at a major league ballpark that uh, you really, you really can't tell Would the Astros have gone as far as they did this year with fans in the stands booing and heckling. Um, I know the Oakland fans were very passionate about what happened in Houston and what, the, what they got caught doing. Um, do they advance as far as they do in the postseason with fans in the stands and hostile environments? So I, I think, I mean, I mean, nobody will ever complain about fans again. Like, oh, we only got twenty thousand tonight, or these fans aren't as loud as those fans. Players can't wait to get any sort of fans back, and and it's a big factor in whether a player can perform or not. I mean, I mean, a lot of guys can do well in it's like public speaking you can talk to 10 people and they're your friends or you can talk to a thousand people on a podium with a spotlight on you it's a different story um you know rock stars playing in front of an empty stadium or rock stars playing in front of a hundred thousand people at Wembley. like it's just a different thing yeah. with fans there it adds a whole different dynamic to performance period whether it's sports or anything else I think one of the more polarizing stories <clears throat> and players in, in baseball, and especially now because he's being focused on in the World Series, is is Kershaw. And like I said, I'm a huge Dodger fan. I'm a Clayton Kershaw fan. Um, I think this guy off the field is great. He's been, you know, people say he's could be the most dominant left-hander in the history of baseball. If If he's not, he's in the top three. I mean, his numbers speak for themselves. However, his playoff numbers haven't been great. They are what they are. He's he, after last night's win, uh, which was a great start, and he's now three and one with an ERA under two in this year's playoffs. But in the past, he hasn't been great. He's twelve and twelve overall as a playoff starter. So it's not a small sample size. This guy's had almost twenty-five decisions now in the playoffs, and he's such a polarizing person to talk about. And the media loves to harp on him when he has a bad start in the playoffs. And I get it to a certain extent, but as a player. I, and I want your take on this because I've never un, I, I don't understand because you can't compare it to any other player. When LeBron has dominant regular seasons, he doesn't get to the playoff and play it, and, and his numbers are fifty percent what they were in the regular season. And and NFL kind of is not a big statistic league, but I think it's hard uh, with with Clayton because it, baseball is such a stat driven sport, and when you see you know, an ERA under two and a half for his career in the regular season and how dominant he's been in three or four uh, Cy Youngs. And then you see a playoff statistics of 12 and 12 with an ERA of four and a half. Um, it's like, I, is there a way to explain it? I mean, he's obviously the same guy. He's throwing the same pitches. Is there a way as a former baseball player to explain to the average fan why maybe either you should or you shouldn't jump on his case for being quite average in the playoffs for his career? Well, you shouldn't. You're an idiot fan if you do, period, end of story. I mean, he gives everything he has every year to you, and sometimes the, the gas tank is empty at the end of the year, and even though there's adrenaline of a postseason game going on, you just don't have what you had in June or July um, in certain circumstances. I was shocked last year when the, um, when, when um, Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto went back-to-back in Game 5 off Clayton, yeah. and on our way out we saw people burning his jersey and driving over his jersey in the, in the Dodgers parking lot. Um, this guy's a Hall of Famer. He's a wonderful human being. He's a three-time Cy Young Award winner and an MVP. He's given that city and that organization everything he has. And for fans to get on him 
Um, and to do things like that, I was shocked. It just, it just goes to show you, um, our societies of what have you done for me lately kind of society and people don't look at the big picture. But as a former athlete that knows how hard it is to grind for 162 games, I don't know what it's like to start 33 or 34 games as a, as a pitcher, but I do know that I've played with guys that, that don't have a lot in the tank when you get to the postseason. And when you're continuously going to postseasons and you're playing a seven month season instead of a six month season, there's extra starts and extra pitches and extra innings that other pitchers are resting, getting ready for the next year. So um, the fact that, that his numbers aren't stellar like they are during the regular season, the postseason and the Dodger fans have turned on him is shocking to me. Absolutely shocking. Yeah. And you wonder now that you, you know, you mentioned that about uh, endurance and whatnot. And after having 33 starts, you are a little worn when you get to the postseason. Maybe that is, maybe that explains his success this year in the postseason where he only had, a 60 game regular season. And here he is, I think three and one in this postseason with a 1.88 ERA. It could be something to said for that, that maybe it's just, it's just an endurance and a fatigue thing with him because you watch his start last night. His stuff was ridiculous last night. I mean, that go, was, go look, go look at his numbers career in like June, July and August. Cause that's where he's pitching right now. Like in July, basically. Yeah. Or June. And the, he's pitching in June right now. So go look at his June career numbers and that's where he's pitching. Yeah. And that's dominant. I mean, I, I wouldn't even have yeah. to look to know that it's dominant. Um, but yeah, I mean, you saw his stuff last night. It was, it was mid season Clayton Kershaw. I mean, he was hitting, he was actually his fastballs a little bit better. His curveball was clearly breaking 12 and six. Like I, you saw it eight strikeouts and how, what he went six last night. Um, I mean, he, he looked like mid mid season Kershaw versus, what we've seen in the past. And like you said, when, when they, when Soto and uh, Rendon went back to back on him last year in the playoffs where everyone got pissed off, I, I gotta believe it's gotta be some sort of fatigue back then last year. Or he just, you know, relieving is not as easy as it look, looks when you're not a reliever either. So yeah, that's um, right. Cause he came that, in, he came in in the relief in that game. Forgot about yeah, that. So yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, so much stuff to talk about. I, I, I opened it up to a couple questions that uh, on, on Twitter for people to ask, and there were two that came up that I wanted to ask you about. This one is just, I don't know, unexplainable because it doesn't make um, a lot of sense. Someone asked. That's, that's Twitter, though. <laughs> yeah. Will the Twins ever get past the first round of the playoffs? And it's not just will they get past the first round of the playoffs. I mean, I, the fact guess, that this, Guess what? I, I don't know and I don't care. How about that for an answer? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't care about the Minnesota Twins at all. The, I mean, they're a great organization. I have some friends that play there. Tyler Clippard comes to mind, but I don't care. How about that? How about <laughs> how about the question of how does a team over the course of twenty seasons, different players, different managers, uh, it's got to be a mental thing to to see that this team hasn't won a playoff game and they're zero and eighteen in the playoffs, or is it, it's either eighteen or nineteen straight playoff losses. Like that's well, it's that's just, the media comes up to you. They ask you about it. They plant seeds in your head about it. Um, and even if you weren't there and it's different personnel, sometimes in baseball, you have to try easy, not try hard. And they're just probably trying hard to win that first game. So it's definitely a psychological thing because, uh, you know, I bet you half the guys didn't even know that the new guys. And then you get people coming up to you saying, do you realize that the last time the twins won a playoff game was, and then now it's in your head. Yeah, no, it's gotta be a mental thing because if it was the same team, you'd be like, okay, maybe this team just isn't good enough. But over the course of 18 years, they've had so many different players. They've been managed by different guys. They've had different starters running out there. They've had different batters going up there. To lose 18 straight, that's almost unheard of. I, I just to, 
to not eke out one win in a playoff game over since 2000, I think two, it's crazy. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Um, uh, one other question was, uh, I know that you said um, you were glad baseball came back. Are you kind of viewing this season as an asterisk, or are you fine with with what came about and whoever wins, assuming it's the Dodgers, this is a legitimate world championship for them? I'm not an asterisk guy. It's okay. just 2020. It's just 2020. It's all it is. It's yeah. 2020. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, and when you just say the the, the – Dodgers were 2020 champs. That's all you need to say. Or it was the 2020 baseball. Anything that has 2020 by it is self-explanatory to me. Anything. Not just baseball. Anything. Yeah, I agree because it's changed all of our lives. I mean, yes. for you, post like now you're in your you're in your off season, not knowing how next season is going to go yet for you. What are your plans uh, in the off season? What, are you going anywhere? I mean, obviously you can't go too many places, but. Well, I just traveled for the first time to Denver to visit my daughter since that March 12th game we started talking about. Um, and it was, uh, uh, I've been on the, on the very concerned side about the virus and trying to be a team ball player and everything I do and, and going by the protocol. Yeah. Um, and so for me to get on an airplane that was really crowded for four hours going to Denver the other day was uh, an experience so far so good. Um, and then I stayed a week in Denver and came back, visited her, um, and I think I'm going to go back to California from D.C. around Christmas unless things get so bad that uh, I, I don't feel comfortable traveling. So uh, that's it. Just sitting in my house, not doing a whole lot. My my 54th birthday is Saturday, so I'm having a few friends over. I have a nice little back patio. We're going to socially distance and, and drink out in the backyard and celebrate my birthday. But that's it. Just uh, wind down. I would say, Steve, kind of in conclusion, the, the, the 2020 season – uh, was what it was, but it was it it was harder in a sense than a 162 game grind where we're getting in at five in the morning and get in our front door at seven a.m. and there's a game that day and as a broadcaster you're beat from the travel. There was you know protocols and 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 in my in, in case anxiety involved and I'm indoors for five hours doing a game and um, is this safe and are we doing the right thing and the, the monitor thing and not being on the road and really concentrate and so in a lot of regards I was more uh, fatigued after a 60 game season this year than I was after 162 game season just because of all the stuff everybody has going on in the world the safety precautions you know the worry the anxiety that the whole world is going through right now on trying to be safe, not pass along this disease and, and not catch it yourself. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been, it's been a crazy world for all of us, uh, since March. And for you guys, obviously things were done way differently. Like you mentioned, not traveling with the team. I'm sure you were tested every day before you went, you got to go into no, the No, we weren't, we weren't, we, we just got our temperature taken. Oh, it was just temperature for you guys. Yeah. Yes. But still, I, for everyone else, like you said, the, the, the routine of not being able to do what you normally do, uh, just kind of throws everything off and throws everybody for a loop, and and not even in just baseball. Everyone else is. I mean, people losing yeah. jobs and stuff like that. It's been it's been a crazy ass year to say the least. Um, I'm I'm blessed to have a job. I'm blessed to be talking about baseball. I'm blessed to have a healthy family, and and it, it, and hopefully um, we all get back to normal here soon. Uh, we can't. I ne- I've never been a guy that likes normal. I think it's boring. <laughs> I'll take normal so fast right now. Please let's just get back to normal. Yeah, I know. No kidding. Um, but FP, thank you so much again for coming on, talking to baseball. Um, maybe you can 
you know what? You could start in. You're not going to be missing much if you tune into episode three next week, next Tuesday of a Bachelorette. You can uh, you can hop in there. It'll be the only time you can watch the Bachelorette since it'll never air in uh, October again. Well, but I told you, Steve, my real life is the Bachelor, so yeah. uh, that's my everyday <laughs> life. So I guess I can flip it around for a little bit and watch it on TV. <laughs> For sure. Uh, yeah. Um, thanks again, man, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we'll hit you up again next season, uh, maybe before the season starts. All right, my man. Take care. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you so much to FP for coming on. He is awesome. He's the best. Love talking baseball with him. I hope you appreciated that. As I said, we recorded this yesterday afternoon. And... So game two hadn't happened. We still don't know. As I'm recording this, game two is still going on. The, the Rays are up five to two. So maybe the Rays did tie the series at one. You know, he seems to think uh, the Dodgers, this is going to be a pretty short series. I'm a Dodger fan, and I, I just know nothing comes easy with the Dodgers. Uh, they they look dominant some games, and some games they look lost. So I could see this series going seven. I could see the Dodgers winning the next three if they happen to lose game two and winning it in five. Uh, but nothing comes easy with the Dodgers. I'd be surprised if they swept the next three if they lose game two here. So we'll see what happens. But uh, just listening to FP talk about baseball and how the pandemic affected him, and he admitted it. Like, look, I love my job and I love what I do, but this season sucked. Like, that was not fun for me because he likes the camaraderie of getting to interact with the players. And you just you don't get that interaction when you're doing Zoom calls. So thanks again to FP uh, for coming on. Um, with that, and uh, speaking of Jacqueline, uh, she has a podcast out now. I mentioned it in uh, in my column today. She started a podcast. Uh, Jacqueline Trumbull, uh, who was on RE season, is uh, going for a PhD at Duke University. So very well versed in a lot of stuff. She's doing something, a podcast uh, revolving around mental health. It's called a little help for our friends and go check it out on anywhere you can view or excuse me, uh, listen to podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google play, stuff like that. It's called a little help for our friends. It's Jacqueline and another, um, uh, someone who's also doing research at Duke university, a friend of hers. So they really do a good job of breaking that stuff down and, uh, figure it'd be good to plug her, uh, podcast cause it just started a couple weeks ago. And she's friends with FP, and I'm friends with her. We're all big one happy family. And I just heard FP say in that podcast, hey, maybe when The Bachelor starts in January, the three of us could do a a live broadcast uh, of one of them. That's uh, not too far-fetched. Maybe we will one night. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in. I really appreciate it for podcast number 205. Next week, 206, we're bringing them back, the duo that you all know and love in the 90210 world, Tara Tara Ariano. And <laughs> Sarah Bunting, uh, Sarah D. Bunting, I, I blanked on her name for a second, sorry. But they have a book, they have a new book coming out, and uh, they sent it to me. It's great. It is literally if you are a nine hundred two one zero fan, you will absolutely love the book. It is a freaking encyclopedia of what happens on that show. It's great. We're gonna have them on talk about the book. We'll probably debate college years versus high school years because I know they're bigger high school years than college year fans. I'm the opposite. But going to be a good conversation. I'm actually recording that today, uh, and it'll run next week. So can't wait to have uh, Tara and Sarah on uh, next week. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. 
I appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. It helps the podcast. Very much appreciated. But anyway, thank you all again. We're at 205. It's crazy. Coming up in two months, we're at four years now on this podcast. It's unbelievable to me. Anyway, I only have you guys to thank for that, for, for tuning in every week and listening. So for FP Santangelo, I'm Reality Steve. Thank you all again for listening, and we will talk to you next week. See you.